One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. spare moments on those occasions say when mr faraday is out for the evening one program i listen to is called twice a week or more which is in fact broadcast three times each week and basically comprises two persons making humorous comments on a variety of topics raised by readers letters i have been studying this program because the witticisms performed on it are always in the best of taste and to my mind of a tone not at all out of keeping with the sort of bantering mr faraday might expect on my part Taking my cue from this programme, I have devised a simple exercise which I try to perform at least once a day. Whenever an odd moment presents itself, I attempt to formulate three witticisms based on my immediate surroundings at that moment. Or, as a variation on this same exercise, I may attempt to think of three witticisms based on the events of the past hour. Wow. That's our podcast, isn't it? Well, well, I think we get to two witticisms, don't we? Three. Where are we at? Three is a bit of a push. Three witticisms. Three, witticisms. three witticisms an hour is a bit much, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think we're going to get well, anywhere we near that. One and a half? Yes, well, welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Tim Wright, and you, Lloyd Shepard. <laughs> Pause before Lloyd Shepard. We are doing, we're having an adventure with, we've taken out for a ride, The Remains of the Day Yes, we're by b- Sir... Kazuo Ishiguro. Yeah, you remembered that this time, haven't I you? I did. Yes, we're bantering. We're bantering? Yeah. Is there sufficient bantering for uh, for Stevens and Faraday's uh, taste, do you think? Too much. Too much. Too much bantering. It's certainly going on too much. We uh, spent part one motoring down from uh, Oxfordshire. From Darlington Sal- Hall. So Salisbury. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then into Dorset. Uh, in part two, we are venturing into Somerset. Mm. Taunton. Yes. Uh, Devon. Dartmoor. The uh, the book then goes into Cornwall. We're not going there. We're not going to Cornwall. Uh, we don't have anything against Cornwall, but uh, it's too far. It's too far. And also, he, the place you discover to. is um, the author Ishiguro is good at making things making up. Making things if up. If you're looking for the village of Little Compton where he's heading for in Cornwall, don't bother. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's near Helston, which does exist, and it's a very long way into Cornwall. Uh, and then we're going to finish up in Weymouth. Yes, at the on pier. the pier, the mm. Pleasure Pier. We found the Pleasure Pier. We found. Well, we found, well, we found a, a sign pier. saying Pleasure Pier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was neither a pier nor pleasurable. So uh, we'll go straight out there. The first place we're going to uh, go to is a pub. 
Hooray! Uh, j- just outside Taunton. Yes, he's looking for accommodation. He's looking for accommodation. He's sleeping upstairs and he tries out one of his witticisms on oh, the dear. bar. Doesn't go D- well. It doesn't go well. I lodged last night in an inn named The Coach and Horses, a little way outside the town of Taunton, Somerset. This being a thatch-roofed cottage by the roadside, it had looked a conspicuously attractive prospect from the ford as I approached in the last of the daylight. The landlord led me up a timber stairway to a small room, rather bare, but perfectly decent. When he inquired whether I had dined, I asked him to serve me with a sandwich in my room, which proved a perfectly satisfactory option as far as supper was concerned. But then, as the evening drew on, I began to feel a little restless in my room, and in the end decided to descend to the bar below to try a little of the local cider. Oh, that's what it, I think. A bit dangerous. In Somerset, I think that's probably... He tries a little of the local cider, and he gets caught trying to banter with them. He gets a little bit up himself, doesn't he? he, he, he overconfident. To, uh, overconfident. Because, um, yes, yeah, so they cider. say, you won't get much of a sleep up there, sir, not unless you're fond of the sound of old Bob banging away down here right the way into the night, and then you'll get woken by his missus. Is that indeed so, I said. So he tries to make a joke, doesn't he? A local variation on the cock crow, no doubt. Ha, 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 ha. They don't get it. At first, the silence continued. Tumbleweed. (laughs) (laughs) So we are... uh, Tell me, where where have you brought me? I Because you found a a suitable location on the A38. I have. I I brought you to Stone Gallows. Hmm. And this pub is the Stone Gallows Arm? The Stone Gallows Inn. Inn. The Stone Gallows Inn. It's got a little room up there, actually. It has. And it does do bed and breakfast. It does. Uh, It's not thatched. It's not thatched. But it's directly on the road out of Taunton. Yeah, it's perfectly re- perfect acceptable location on the way. It, so, And it used to be called the Red Lion, not the Coach and Horses. Now, the reason why it's called Stone Gallows... Yeah, it's rather more. I've never heard of a pub called Stone Gallows before. No, well, the reason is that there's a stone here that marks the spot. If I find my... It marks the spot where Taunton's Gallows once stood. Oh, OK. This is on... Um, off the beaten track in Somerset, blogspot.com. <laughs> that does rather suggest that there's a unbeaten track in Somerset, but never well, mind. And no, they think that, off the beaten track well, in I Somerset. Know, I think the whole county's off the beaten track. Well, I think Stevens is taking a drive that's a bit off the beaten track, isn't he? Well, it's, t- it's, he not- it's off the bleeding map is what it is. Uh, it anyway, sense no, at all. At one point, there were nine men hanged simultaneously. Oh, blimey. For the burglary... Of sh- and theft of sheep and cows. Wow. They don't muck about here, do they? No. The last hanging in 1810 was Thomas Gage for murdering Elizabeth Stylings. Basically, there's a sign, there's a plaque that says Taunton's execution site. So, good for Stevens to come to a, a place. No one, you know, he's feeling quite depressed. Mm. He's on a long, lonely drive on his own. He's missed out Stonehenge. He, he's missed out Stonehenge. And he's looking for nice, cheerful holiday places to stop off at. He stared into a pond for an hour or two. And now he's decided to take a pint of cider on the site of a gallows. <laughs> <laughs> he's a real... He's a cheery, real cheery chappy, isn't he's he? He's a real cheery chappy. So yeah. why is it that, that any woman will decide that he's a bit of a catch? It's weird, isn't it? Because Miss Kenton clearly has decided he's a good at man. At some point. Well, or had decided. Yes, that he was all right. But it's, it's a bit mystifying seeing what she sees in him, because he's just... I mean, he's awful, isn't he? <laughs> he's an awful man. 
he's obviously he's all well he's he's obviously got sort of you know passionate depths well as we'll no doubt discover on day five well <laughs> he's constantly writing in his diary i'm currently drinking a pint of cider yeah and then i shall be going to bed yeah yeah <laughs> it's weird isn't it tomorrow i shall be driving towards dartmoor we, we are getting increasingly, is it fair to say, irritated by the inaccuracies going on here? As you I'm not drive. sure irritated is quite the right word. I think, Puzzled. I think there's a... I don't understand, I suppose, the reason why he would be so specific about certain locations, like Taunton, yeah. Salisbury, Tavistock, which we'll come to, Helston. Yeah. And then, basically both make up other locations completely such that they you know they don't bear any resemblance to well they some of them might but then make make Stevens drive on this this is the point at which the route goes absolutely haywire oh yes there is absolutely no reason for him to be driving to Tavistock from here not really if he's trying to get to Helston no yeah unless he's visiting Dartmoor prison unless he's visiting Dartmoor prison or unless Kazuo Ishiguro Nobel Prize winning author decides I quite fancy doing a scene on Dartmoor so I'm going to make him go to Dartmoor. On a moor. He doesn't say Dartmoor, he just says moor. Well, it's Tavistock. It's yes, got to be Dartmoor. It's got to be Dartmoor. There's only one moor at Tavistock. Yeah, yeah. So, he does, what we're saying is, for a driving holiday, he's making some odd choices about where he stops. Stephen's what, making, what he it, I mean, he may be making odd choices because he's seriously depressed and, you know, oddly, and there's something going on that he needs to go and, you know. So there's either stuff going on in the, in the plot itself that we're not getting. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's getting. Or Kazuo Shiguro <laughs> has never driven down has here. Has never driven down here. He's got a map up in his room and is just putting pins in it <laughs> and saying, in his I seat, want him to go there. In his sealed or, room. as we said in Salisbury, Kazuo Shiguro has been, he's, he's had an overnight stay in Salisbury at some point. Yeah. He's been to Tavistock at some point, and they're the only two places he's been to. Yeah, and he doesn't so really gonna, know anything around doesn't them. doesn't really know anything between them. <laughs> So he's just, he's just got a weird, this, he going on this weird train route. as well. He didn't actually it's, drive it's, it. It's just, it's just, honestly, if we were driving to Cornwall, to Helston, for instance, yeah. as, he, as he effectively is, yeah. and you had taken me via Tavistock, oh, you'd be furious, wouldn't you? There would have been words. <laughs> From ABC, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings, reporting tonight from Berlin. From the Berlin Wall specifically, take a look at them. They've been there since last night. They are here in the thousands. They are here in the tens of thousands. Occasionally they shout, Die Mauer muss weg, the wall must go. Thousands and thousands of West Germans come to make the point that the wall has suddenly become irrelevant. So this book came out in 1989. 1989. Great year. Do you think? Well, it was a great year in some ways. It was, a, it was the year of the wall came down, right? The Pink Floyd. <laughs> The Berlin Wall. Oh, sorry. The other wall. Oh, okay. The other wall. <laughs> it was the Velvet Revolution and the Singing Revolution, and it was all rather lovely in Central and Eastern Europe. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't entirely lovely. Well, I'm. I'm I, put, I, I would say for the Ceausescu's, Christmas Day was quite rough. It was. It was a tough. It was a tough year for the Ceausescu's. That's to be fair. But you know, to be fair, they also had it coming. And also, I'd say that the, a lot of people in Tiananmen Square didn't have a great year. No, they didn't. I know. No. Lots of uh, people in the Square. So yeah, maybe the Czech Velvet Revolution and the ball coming, the, the the Berlin Wall coming down. I quite like the uh, Baltics Singing Revolution. Where yes, they had joined the chain and had everyone singing. So it's a it's a time of turmoil. It is a time of turmoil of a world turmoil. So it's quite interesting that he this book comes out uh, about sort of Britain's repressed history of sort of 
how we keep a tin lid on our our society and our thoughts of revolution and yeah. change yeah. by being all uptight. Yeah. Um, while the world around, <clears throat> while the world around it goes mad. Wasn't a great year for Salman Rushdie either. Who was a ah, well that, of his book. Yes. So that's uh, interesting. Is it was announced against, against by the Iranians? Yes, and they were, and uh, Ishiguro and um, Rushdie were friends. They were. Um, Rushdie and was a big supporter of his. Yes. So the, and the fact was, well, it's very interesting. I read a very very good article about this. Um, in Vanity Fair, okay, dot com. That's uh, unusual. <laughs> I know, but it was um, uh, a fundamental fight. This is in two thousand and fourteen by Paul Ely, with lots of photos by Annie Leibovitz of various worthy writers. Most of them, the usual suspects: yeah. McEwen, yeah. Amos. Yeah. It, what it does give an insight to is just how out of touch people yeah, in the literary world were to the idea. That, of that books might have impact beyond yeah. the literary world itself. Yeah. I did rather like this, is that basically um, um, they were all turning up to the memorial service for Bruce Chatwin, who died that yeah. year. Great writer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Songlines. Songlines, yeah. Would be one of the ultimate curiously specific books That would be do. a hell of a, hell of a trip. Hell of a trip. In both meanings of the word. Oh, it would be amazing. Anyway, so they all turn up to that, right, and including Rushdie turns up with security cards <laughs> and Paul Theroux sitting said to him said I suppose we'll be here for you next week Salmon oh bloody hell <laughs> said Paul Theroux <laughs> that's, that's a bit that's a bit sharp and then Theroux said to him I'm not sitting near you I don't want to be in the line of fire oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're they're just still being sort of uh, 80s jokes. 90s ironists about something very very um, mm. sort of thing Heavy. and Martin Amos is quite interesting about this because obviously he then got very fired up about Islamism and yeah. radical Islamism with he him did. and Christopher Hitchens. Martin Amos said um, the he said that, that it forced writers to be more serious about their work and their rivals' work too. The notion that writers are a bitchy, touchy, catty, competitive crowd always scoring points off each other, know yourself, Martin, yeah. this was absolutely obliterated by the Rushdie affair. Any writer who was bitchy or catty looked very trivial after the fatwa because it was a matter of life and death. Did he let Paul Theroux know that? <laughs> Did he let himself know that, yeah. frankly? <laughs> I well, it, yeah, well I, so just to, uh, for this book, you'd say this book doesn't have any controversy about it. If I read this as a member of... We're into 10 years of Thatcher at this point. Yeah. And I read this as a portrait of Middle England mentality and yeah. how we're all screwed up. I, w I think, wouldn't the um, Defender of the Faith have something to say about uh, this horrible uh, calumny against the, the British psyche? The Queen, you mean? Yeah, she, and it's treason, man. It's treason. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? We're not buttoned up and repressed. Rushdie gets a fatwa. This guy gets the Nobel Prize. <laughs> okay. I don't get it. <laughs> no. No, no, you don't. The other thing I noticed about 1989, 1989 was the year the police arrested 250 people at Stonehenge. Yeah, what were they doing? Well, they weren't visiting it on their butler's trip through England because uh, Stevens oh, yes. completely avoids Stonehenge. That's true. Despite driving straight past it. Yes. Maybe he was worried about being arrested. Yeah, he, he's worried that someone was going to drop something in his tea flask. Yeah. So he's, he's, driving, he's driving in July, so it's only just past the midsummer solstice. True, true. So maybe he just, or maybe he's just a bit late for the solstice. Maybe he was planning to do the solstice. Well, I think there. he's probably a bit druidist. He's, but I would say he's a bit druidist. Yeah.
We swear by peace and love to stand, heart to heart and hand in hand. Mark, O Spirit, and hear us now, confirming this, our sacred vow. That's the Druid's vow. My name's Arthur Pendragon. I'm generally known as King Arthur. I'm a senior Druid. And for me, it's full time. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. After 15 minutes or so of motoring, I found myself out on a long road curving across bleak, open moorland. No, you didn't. <laughs> On either side of me were what appeared to be fields of marsh. No, they weren't. And a mist was rolling across my path. To my left, I could see the last glow of the sunset. Possibly. The skyline was broken here and there by the shapes of barns and farmhouses some way away over the fields. But otherwise, I appeared to have left behind all signs of community. Now going forward, I was a little disconcerted then by what eventually greeted my eyes. On the other side of the gate, a field sloped down very steeply. No, it didn't. So that it fell out of vision only 20 yards or so in front of me and beyond the crest of the field, some way off in the distance, perhaps a good mile or so as the crow would fly, was a small village I could make out through the mist a church steeple and around about it clusters of dark slated roofs. No, you couldn't. <laughs> it's all a lie. Where we're are we? We stood at the top, well, at the top of Dartmoor 
above Tavistock. It is bleak. It's a bit windy. It, it is bleak. And all signs of civilization have disappeared, apart from sheep so he goes and to a tractor. Ta- he goes to Tavistock. He tries to go into a boarding house at the edge of town in Tavistock. And the lady says, oh, we haven't got any room left, but you can stay at my, my mate's inn. It's up the road. Give some directions. He gets lost. Yes. He drives up onto the moor. Clearly. And there's only one road up onto the moor from Tavistock. Yes. Going um, towards Dartmoor Prison. Going, going towards... It's the only road from to Tavistock is the road to Dartmoor Prison. And he sees the sunset, so he must be driving north to south. Why he bothers to say, on my left, I saw the sunset, which says, therefore, you're driving north. I'm Why driving he says north. that, I don't know. So we've, 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 we've followed the directions given in the book, and we're up on the top of Dartmoor. We park yeah. the car up, um, surrounded by sheep and wind and a brickstone wall. It's very You moody. cannot see a town from here, anywhere up here. We thought it might be a village called Peter Tavi. Yes. But you can't see Peter Tavi from the top of Dartmoor. It's, it's hidden behind an, uh, uh, another, another, ridge. another ridge. So um, There are only two churches round here. And one of them doesn't even have a spire. Yeah, no, well, the other one, as I said to you, if he... If he oh, the other one's down that way, If he it? went out of Tavascot southeast, and then went uh, and then went up onto the moor from the south... Yeah. He might find another track like this and then see a village there. But, I, but I, again, I don't think there is another road that goes no, north. I don't think there is another road. The road goes east to west. It's an east to west road. So I just think... So I this think is the only road complete, we're on. There's a track here that go, that's going confe- north and you can't see any villages from here. It's confection. So the thing about the sunset is just to add atmosphere. The well, it's the mist. The, mist. the rolling mist. And then through the mist, he sees the village. I said to you, it's, this is Brigadoon. <laughs> it's Brigadoon. This is basically Brigadoon. <laughs> He's coming across a, uh, a, myth, a mythical village. It never happened. And the other thing I said to you is, I've, I've always enjoyed uh, that book about the strange voyage of Donald Crowhurst, who's the guy who went missing in yes. the round-the-world the yacht race in the yes. late 60s. And that um, they never found him because he'd walked off the end of his boat, but they found his official logbook, which was his sort of fake... Well, he was I'll, sending signals saying he was OK, and wasn't This he? is where I am and this is how it's going yeah. and everything's going tremendously swell. And then when they finally got on the boat and found it in yeah. disarray and him disappeared, they found the second logbook, which was how he'd decided he'd become a transmitter and was changing into a new being and was going to be a god amongst men etc so you worked out this theory that this whole book is stevens's fake logbook yeah this is his sensible and one. the real logbook is it tells another story well, i'm going to say this is day four isn't it right day or the four. evening of day three or something like and that. he's followed the road up to dartmoor prison quote unquote by accident by accident yeah. and also he says i ran out of petrol and had to leave my car there yeah so there's a, you will uh, anybody who came across it will know that my car was parked on if they saw it it's alibi very obviously like this other car there that's yeah. there's a Citroen there there's a Citroen very obviously up that we were now witnesses to yeah but obviously then that transferred to another vehicle yeah and they went off wherever he was to going. do something to do something <laughs> and then he came back with some petrol so we're speculating he went off to visit someone in Dartmoor Prison. Well, he talks about his brother who fought in the Boer War. and died in the Boer War. Well, he says he died in the Boer War. So you think his brother might be in Dartmoor? Well, it's a bit like Hannibal Lecter going to visit some other psychopath uh, (laughs) to talk about how their methods... Well, he's a psychopath now. Well, uh, it's at least as plausible being able to see a Why village church from Why would you get Anthony Hopkins to play this character if in the film? If you weren't sending if a you signal were, out. If you didn't want him to be very sinister. Maybe Kazuo Shigeru is Thomas Harris. 
Well, I've, you know, and then well, that, that, that's, going to explain, that's going to also then explain quite a lot about day five. Uh, as it stands in the book, and we're following the logic of the book. Yeah, this, book this place called Moscum. The book doesn't... Des- the Moscum, village of Moscum. It doesn't exist. More than that, it can't exist. It can't exist. It's, it's completely made up. It's a zero mark for zero mark rating. It can't Moscow. be there. It never was there. <laughs> you come up here, you can't see it. Yeah. You can't find yeah. it. It's, it's an it's absolute <laughs> confection. Um, do you want to make your official apology now? Um, yes, I would. I would like to have it placed on the record mm-hmm. that there is a spot that the Nobel Prize-winning laureate um, has not got me it, has not got know. it wrong. Because we should go well. He's got it less wrong than I initially stated. Well, and we both. I was with you. We w- we walked up the other way a little bit, and we found a, a fence, a, a gate. A bridal so the way. thing we didn't say before is he he gets out of the car and he says he walks across a field to a gate. Yes. And the field drops away and he can see the village. Now the reason we didn't think that worked is because there's a bloody great wall all the way down that cuts off the access to the fields. Yes. And then we're on national park land on our side of it, which is open access and you can walk around. The other side is farmland, private farmland. So we walked one way down the wall and went, no, this isn't going to work. Well, then the we benefit, the other the, way the the benefit of having Ship's dog here was that we had to take the dog for a little walk yes. and we got some slightly different views. Well, we got some, we, we walked up the wall a little bit and we, we did find a gate. And a bridleway. And, and a view of the village of Peter Tavy. Yes. And, a, and on the bridleway notice it said... It's one mile to Peter Tavy. One mile to Peter Tavy. That's what it says in the book. Yeah, one mile. So... Moscum equals Peter Tavy, yep. possible. Yes. This uh, road goes north. The sunset would be on his left. Possible. Possible. Coming out of Tavistock, up Coming that out road. of Tavistock, possible. The one thing I don't think is possible, you cannot see the church. Do you think in the 1950s that people were better at church spotting? They might be better at church spotting. They might have a better eyesight. That's true. You can't, we can't, you can't even make out individual in houses. In the dusk. He talks about being able to see the church and the roofs of the houses. Yes, that's right. And you just can't. It's too far away. Mm. Given he's in his 60s, he's got very good at hindsight, hasn't he? Well, we think he might be in his 70s, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But so, it's better than we thought. It's not, as, it's not as catastrophic an error as we initially stated. No. So I'd like to put on, my re- on record my personal apology to Mr Ishiguro, Nobel it, Prize laureate. Yeah, yeah. Um, that um, you might have been here, and y- that might be. Do we think he's been up village. here then, Ishiguro? Frankly, no. no. Uh, I I think he's just looked at a map and, a man he, over and, there he, with and his he's dog found something. Uh, he may have done some map research, but I don't believe that he's driven up here. No, I don't. Believe As I've said to you many times on this trip, I said it's pretty punchy. It's a pretty punchy writer who decides to do a road trip book yeah. over six days and doesn't bother to do the road trip. And even if he does see the village from here, it's still entirely weird that he comes to Tavistock at all. Yes. It's not on the way. That's right. I still quite like your I'm visiting Dartmoor theory. <laughs> so maybe Stevens is just a bit better at covering his tracks than we give him credit for. Yeah, he's got his story straight, hasn't yeah. he? 
He's got his story. He's straight. got his story straighter than we thought. That's the best I can say for it. Uh, oh, but yeah. So now that's a that's a that's a sort of apology that isn't an apology no, now. No, no. I'm sorry if, if well, what sorry. I, I'm sorry if for what I said made you feel bad. Yes, I'm sorry if you feel that that we didn't believe you. I'm sorry, so sorry. We had to issue an apology straight away, didn't we? I don't think we've ever done that before. No, nice I, you say we, by the way, because it was mainly me issuing the apology. That's true. Well, I was a bit lucky because because we had the dog there. I had to walk down the moor a bit further yeah. and got another perspective on the yeah. view. Yeah. So that helped. Didn't I it? sat up by the car, steaming with rage. At well, the, this is you know that's that you were probably a bit hungry by then. I wanted to get in the car. <laughs> didn't probably you? hangry. Do you know what I mean? Probably hangry. There's a dynamic. There. There's a dynamic I do think there. it's interesting though that Darmore thing because I, having read the things about him, the way he did his research, he, he doesn't mention maps in doing the research. I think I think a guidebook has said something about if you go up on the top of Dartmoor and go this way, then you can look but down. You have the extensive views and see the village. And he's just he's just. Chuck, chuck that in. He said, oh, I like that idea. And it turns out it's true. <laughs> but you can't actually see the detail in the village that he talks about. So it seems yeah. to me like that's that's something he's just imagined. It's interesting, isn't it? We said that, because this is uh, 1989, that um, Tim Berners-Lee is only just starting to think about the web. So when he's sitting in his room in Sydenham, he doesn't have access he doesn't have to any visual to media from the internet, apart from if he joined a Kicks group or something. Or ordnance survey maps. There you go, you see. Wouldn't yeah. have any websites to work yeah. with. It's easy now. Oh, well, it's easier, isn't it? He should do an internet edition of The Remains of the Day and correct it. So we're going to talk about dating. Yes. So in one sense, it's quite easy because the, the, the book actually says it starts in July 1956. Yes, and he's going... It doesn't give you any days, though, does it? Well, What day is it thing. starting on? Well, it, well, I think it, I think I know what day it's starting on, by the uh, way. Okay, good. So let's let's go right in there. I'm assuming he has this conversation about going on a trip at yeah. the weekend, and he's going to start on Monday. Cause he, yeah, I assume finish, Monday. He's got to finish polishing the silver and leave well, the house. There's another order. reason why I think he starts on a Monday. Why is that? Is that because on the day six, he's on Weymouth Pier, and it's crowded with people. Ah. So it's obviously a weekend. It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. So I'm thinking it's a Saturday. So Monday to Saturday, I'm saying. Monday to Saturday. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay, so that gives us something to work with. But I don't have any actual dates for you. I'm going to... I'm referring to the weather. Oh, the weather. Okay, go on. Yes. Okay, let me reach to my weather chart. There's no moons in this uh, book. He's been careful about that. He's been what, careful yes, about the moons. Uh, that's uh, one point to him not to get, <laughs> not to start doing moons. Yeah, he's learnt that one already. So well done him. But I'm afraid, I think on the weather front, weather front, very good. He may have some problems. Uh, I looked it up. Obviously, if I go to premiumweatherweb.net, 1956 summer, it was a notably wet summer. Oh, really? Well, it's total not rainfall, all, it? 331 millimetres, representing something like 160% of the, the average. It's in the top five of one of the wettest summers right. uh, in, in the series. When does it rain in this? It yes. When does it rain? Yeah, it doesn't rain a lot, does it? It doesn't rain very much, does it? Because when yeah. he's, he gets out of the car to go and get petrol and he walks through the fields, you know, he, he goes up onto the bench quite happily. And had a spectacular view, right? Yeah. So when was it not raining when, in fact, it was a very rainy July? And by all reports, it was quite dry. It was improving towards the end of the month. So that last week, there's yeah. a lot less 
precipitation. Right. Whereas before that, it's been pissing down the rain quite a lot. So th- that, for my mind, puts it as the week of... So I would say that it's 22nd? the week beginning the 23rd. The Monday the 23rd. Monday the 23rd. So he lives on the Monday. So that then he's, um, he's in Weymouth on the 28th of July. That's what I'm suggesting, because of the weather. Well, that maps onto a, an historical artefact that I think might be, oh, having, well. be, might be having fun with. Come on, then. Which was my, my take on this, is that Salman Rushdie wasn't the first to point out, but he did in his review of the, of the book, that it's set in the same time frame as the Suez Crisis. Oh, is it? Um, so uh, the Suez Crisis is just kicking off in July 1956. Oh, interesting. And on July the 26th... Yes, which is the Thursday in the book. Yes. Uh, President Nasser announced the plan to nationalise the Suez Canal. So if you say that uh, July the 26th is basically when Stephen's world falls apart, oh, you can then say the metaphor. British Empire falls apart on July the 26th, 1956. That's very good. So, uh, And then the reason he's weeping on the pier... He's weeping for Suez. He's weeping for Suez. Well, well he, now, let's get to it. He's weeping on day six. Well, so this is the other thing that's going on. What pushes him over the edge to go on a murderous rampage on day five? <laughs> because in the book, day five, there's no day five. There is no day five. So it finishes on the uh, lunchtime on the fourth is the last mention. Yes, he puts, he, well, he allegedly puts Miss Kenton on the bus. On to, the bus. Yeah, alive or dead, discussed. Were they ever at the bus stop? Puts her on the bus back to Helston. This is he his makes claim. sure that they're seen at the bus stop. This, his claim is they're seen at the bus oh, stop. Oh, I saw her off on the bus. Uh, and then there is no... That's on lunchtime on day four. Yeah. The next mention is in the evening yes. of day six. So more than one and a half days gone missing. missing. Gone missing from what, the diary. What is happening on those days? Yeah. What is happening? Now, so Stevens is not being honest with us. I put it to you that, that there's another diary. There's another diary. <laughs> which is, and the, the, one, the one that Ishiguru found in the Sydenham Library. Yeah. I'm presuming that's what's yeah. happened Or, or in the back of the Kirkdale books. Because I don't believe he wrote this book. He yeah. just found it, didn't he? He just found it. It's, found, it's a found literature. <laughs> that, uh, which is why you can't trust Stevens about anything. No. Um, uh, that there's a second logbook, yeah. uh, which is, includes the day five. Well, but I think he put, I think he puts Mrs. Ken, Miss Kenton in the boot of the truck of the Ford. Well, to be fair, Almost. she's called she's called Mrs. Ben at this point. Mrs. Ben, Mr. Ben. Right. Well, where's Mr. Ben when you need him? Well, he's in the changing room. <laughs> <laughs> off, off on some. She's safari. in the boot of the Ford, isn't she? She's in the boot of the Ford. Yeah, I would say. Uh, and the reason he's weeping in Weymouth yeah. is that she's in the boot of the Ford. And I think on the way back, the reason why he doesn't, why he fakes a town called Moscombe, is because something really terrible happened in Peter Davy. On the way back, yeah, 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 because <laughs> he was so fed up with the humiliation that he'd had in the in in the house yeah. from everybody. He goes back to wreak his revenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's been excised from the records because I can't find any evidence of a, of a massacre in Peter Davy. Yeah. But then I can't find a reference to the doctor or any of the people that are referred to in the book. It's strange, isn't it? We should have gone to the churchyard there. It's almost we should like have gone to the churchyard there and see if those names were on the graves. If you had to read this book as an exercise in covering your tracks. It's it would not, make perfect sense. It's not bad, is it? Yeah. And do you think that he then um, just throws himself off the end of the pier? Well, we found a pair of socks on the pier <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a bunch of flowers memorialising yeah. something. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm by that. Well, I, also, I did find from my weather charts as well um, that uh, there was a, a very keen weatherman uh, who points out, where is it? 
Alan Robinson at the Netweather Community. Yeah. I have several books that are highly regarded among sailors and which go into what amateur mariners regard considerable detail about weather forecasting. <laughs> now, he's got my question to the Netweather Forum concerns a description of a severe storm on Sunday, July the 29th, 1956. Oh, uh, so, so day seven. Which caused great damage to the sailing boats participating in the Channel Race that year. Oh. It seems the race started on the evening of Friday the 27th wow. in very reasonable weather. Through Saturday, the boats made their way through the Channel. Issued a, they issued a gale warning at 0001 GMT on Sunday the 29th. Very strong gusts were experienced. The odd feature of this storm is that the devastating winds were very localised but also very gusty. Maybe he didn't throw it over. I, what about if he did a Lord Lucan and just got on a boat? He was trying to get to France. Trying yeah. to get out of the UK. He's, yeah. getting the, he's getting a nighttime boat out of Weymouth. Basically, he'd killed a housekeeper, but, he but not storm. a nanny. But he hits the storm. Yeah. He and, gets, storm. And, gets, and gets drowned. Yeah. So Stevens is currently lying at the bottom yeah. of the channel. Yeah. I'm buying it. Good. Uh, good. I'm glad you are. Now, the more prosaic yeah. point about this is that I think Ishiguru, if you're listening, sir, sir, sir uh, I think he wrote a day five. Right. And, and then when he looked back over it, and he was writing in a bit of a rush, as you said, yeah. he thought, I don't really need this. Or well, the editor said, this, uh, this mass killing is a little bit... <laughs> This goes in a very funny direction. Keeping with the rest of the book. <laughs> why have you done that? Why have you done that? And he went, do you know, why don't you just take it out? Yeah, but I, th- I think there was probably a very boring day five of him trundling around feeling depressed, maundering about. He tells a story in, uh, in that Guardian interview that um, the ending was different. Ah. Uh, uh, and the reason he had uh, Stevens crying on the pier yeah. was because of a Tom Waits song. Oh. Uh. I thought I'd finished Remains... But then one evening, and he calls it Remains, right? Okay. So it is a mass murder okay. uh, story. Nice. It's called Remains. The Remains of the Day. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> so I thought I'd finished Remains, but then one evening I heard Tom Waits singing his song Ruby's Arms. It's a ballad about a soldier leaving his lover sleeping in the early hours to go away on a train. The song is sung in the voice of a rough American hobo type, utterly unaccustomed to wearing his emotions on his sleeve, and there comes a moment when the singer declares his heart is breaking. It's almost unbearably moving. This seaside town is a place I have thought of coming to for many years. Well, I have heard various people talk of having spent a holiday here. And Mrs. Simmons, too, in The Wonder of England, calls it a town that can keep the visitor fully entertained for many days on end. In fact, she makes special mention of this pier, upon which I have been promenading for the past half hour, recommending particularly that it be visited in the evening when it becomes lit up with bulbs of various colours. A moment ago I learnt from an official that the lights would be switched on fairly soon and so I have decided to sit down here on this bench and await the event. I have a good view here from here of the sun setting over the sea and though there is still plenty of daylight left, it has been a splendid day. I can see, here and there, lights starting to come on all along the shore. Meanwhile the pier remains busy with people Behind me, the drumming of numerous footsteps upon these boards. 
continues without interruption. Well, 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 well. here we are on the pier. We are sitting on Weymouth Pleasure Pier. I walked to a little iron arch. I came here last night uh, with the dog and I can tell you uh, that it was pitch dark. There were two night fishermen and then there's a massive car park and there were a few late night car parkers. Yeah. And that was your lot. And well, well, I should say an enormous number of amount of, con- of sort of um, fences up to fence off everything yeah. in readiness for the new destruction construction of something else. So it's really nothing like as described. We're sitting on the concrete base of what would have been the original benches and little sheltered the end of what would have been the pier, sheltered right? seating. There's one solitary Edwardian style pier lamppost left. Yep. And there's a what would have been the old cafe. That's right. Steps, which is now left. But the rest of it is just a massive con- construction of temporary fencing, the big car park. It's horrible. It, it's not a very pleasurable pleasure pier. You have to walk past the pavilion, which is the big theatre and entertainment space. I see that they have an ACDC tribute band playing they do, in October. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, I think they were called something like DC, Dirty DC or dirty something like DC. that. Dirty DC, yeah. That's yeah. in Dirty Deeds. Done Dirt Cheap. Is that what that is? That's a I wouldn't DC know. Song. Uh, pass me by. He's here in 1956, right? July 1956. July 1956. So, what interests me is that that uh, pavilion was then known as the Ritz Theatre, and it had um, and it rather grand, you know, a proper old entertainment pier, and you'd walk more or less through or by the the Ritz to get to the pleasure pier yeah. bit. There's no way that's half an hour. You'd have to be walking up and down about 100 times. Yeah. It's quite short. It's not very big, is But it? the key thing to know is that in 1954... Two years before... The Ritz was burnt to the ground. Well, And it was quite a... a devast- There's pictures on the dorsetecho.co.uk that show the scale of the fire. Basically, the whole town came, came out to watch it be, be burning down. Blackened, twisted girders hang crazily where once was the moulded ceiling. Hopelessly distorted steel is all that remains of the comfortable upholstered steel seats, and black ashes only remain of the heavy curtains and deep pile carpets. So now, this were... wasn't rebuilt. It wasn't opened until 1961, yeah. It wasn't finished till 1960. So two years after the, the, the devastating fire, it would still be just a, a wreck. And it's the, it's the first building on the pier, right? You can't really get to the rest of the pier without going past it I or through it's it. I probably, think probably quite likely the pier would have been closed yeah. in yeah. 1956. So he's, he's, he's sitting very close to a, a, a burnt-down theatre yeah. Yeah. in 56. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm not buying it. No, I don't think it's quite right. Is it? <laughs> well, again, you have to say to the, the author is like, really? So we were speculating here. We were speculating <laughs> as to what might have happened to Stevens at the end of this book. Well, and there's a there's a single pair of socks left over there. Yes, and there's also a um, a remembrance bunch of flowers tied to a post yes and he's weeping on the bench and the guy talking doesn't say to him like are you all right no just says you need to talk to somebody i've only used it once he says doesn't he yeah but i mean so yes has he gone over the side yeah you know what he did he left his notebook on the bench didn't he and then he just disappeared (laughs) 
Time for the rating. Time for the rating. We issue two ratings for all our books. We issue a curiously specific rating, which is we define as how seriously does the author take the requirement to be curiously specific about dates and locations yes. in this book. I think that wording is going to be important on this one. Yeah, yeah I know you're careful to say it like uh, that. And the second one is uh, the artistic merit rating, which is basically yes. how good do we think, the, well, how much did we personally enjoy the book? I think that's good. You've phrased that well as well. You've been should very we, careful uh, to this week should about we do the, uh, defining should we, well, it. I'm, 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 because I've been reading Kazuo Shigeru, I'm choosing my words carefully. Oh, so should we do the artistic rating Yeah, first? come on then. What do you think of this book? Well, I love this book. I mean, mm. I, think it's a, mm. I think it's an amazing achievement. Mm. I'm not sure I enjoyed it as much as on the second reading as I had on the first reading. Mm -hmm. I think because mainly I started to think of it as a creative writing exercise. Well, it is a bit, Just isn't very it? well done. An act of ventriloquism. Um, I, I think there's a couple of set-piece scenes which are just amazing. The scene where Stevens is watching his father in the garden fall over. Oh, that's very good. And the scene where you know his father dies when everything's going chaotic oh, in the house. God, it's it's yeah. brilliant. So I think I would probably would have given it a nine after the first reading, but now I'd probably give it an eight. Oh, okay. So quite high. But yeah, not, and then slip, yeah. slip back on you on the second yeah, I would reading. say it slipped back a bit, yeah. And you notice how some books just come even more into focus. And little, yes, no, well, I, I mentioned that in the last podcast about Life After Life. Yeah. I was raving about it when I first read it, and then second read I was a bit like, yeah. oh, why did Which I rave kind of, There's a similar thing there about, you know, when you when you start to see it as a sort of exercise in, in writing, mm. it loses something. Anyway, so, yeah. Well, not for me. I mean, I like brainy books like that, so I'm not so, you know, I actually, it, it improved for me. The first time I read it, I thought, blimey, this is a funny old-fashioned kind of topic to be writing about in 1989. Mm -hmm. Gosh, mm -hmm. why on earth are you writing about butlers and yeah. World War, and sort of 1930s Nazi sympathisers? I mean, what, what the hell? Yeah. But actually, as I say, I, the re I read it three times. I, it really got into my head. And I suppose because of my background of being a repressed Englishman yeah. of a certain type. Yeah. Um, I thought, gosh, no, this is a really good portrait of a certain type of English person and also was a metaphor for English, you know, the, what's wrong with English people yeah. and how World War Two has loomed over us, as we now know, with a flood of Union Jacks and Brexit and yeah. all this stuff and the Queen dying, yeah. that the resurgence of all that sort of stuff... It, it's just within us, uh, I want to say, like a virus. Chickenpox. Yeah, it can come back up and hide in your spine and then bloom out at any moment. That kind of yeah. sense of a, a loss of the past and the loss of empire, and but also the of not being able to talk about our emotion and uh, missing opportunities to be with the people you love because you can't say it. You've yeah. got responsibilities and keeping up appearances it's it's really good about all that it is it's very so i'm good. going to give it a, a nine a nine i'm not okay. going to give it a ten i'm going to give it a nine a nine but so, it's, uh, it's brilliantly high well. marks as you very expect well from done. a booker very, prize winning novel by a very well nobel done. prize winning author. so um with one hand i give <laughs> with the other hand well okay so we get on to the how serious does the author take being specific about dates and locations i would say he's been quite artful about the date yeah, well, you, I, the Suez thing, so uh, you know, very clever. So I think it gets quite a high. Did you said that was Salman Rushdie's idea or yours? It was Salman Rushdie's idea. Okay, just checking. But uh, Salman Rushdie hadn't used the actual dates to identify the week, which we well, had. yeah. So we, I think we, I feel we built on uh, Sir Salman's initial work because well, I was thinking on the way here about the location side of things, and I was thinking about the thing that really got my goat, which yes. was the diversion via Tavistock. Yes, it did, didn't it? And I was thinking about the number of times I've driven to the West Country. 
mm. from London. Must be maybe a dozen times. You're very resentful North and about South, that. Cornwall or Devon. Yeah. I've never driven via Tavistock. Right, not once. So that trip we took was the first time I'd been to Tavistock. Mm. It was quite a difficult little drive through Tavistock, wasn't it? It was quite tricky, it? and it was like didn't make any sense to me. Literally, that that whole scene was just to get him up onto Dartmoor. Yes, uh, and uh, I felt somewhat cheated by that. I thought that was uh, well, that's just that's not taking anything seriously. But on the other hand, you know, we saw some places like Salisbury mm-hmm. that were very on point. Mm. The bench was amazing. Mm. So I'm going to give him a five. Oh. Okay. Q-spec rating. Okay, so I'm going to go quite radical here. At one point during the trip, I said to you that he's he's basically sitting in a room making a load of stuff up. He's just yeah. looking at books. He doesn't really know whether it's true. He's not taking the trip. He doesn't himself. care. He's not. He never. I mean, that's what I said. It's a bold move yeah. for a writer to to do a road trip book and yeah. never bother going on the road trip. <laughs> yeah. It's a bold idea, isn't yeah. it? So, and I thought this is this is a bit like dealing with a writer who's sort of. Q-spec antimatter. Absolutely. Reverse. It's, yeah, that he's just... It's a mirror image of he's, Q-spec. He, he, he so doesn't care that he's gone through the looking glass yeah. and everything's... Anti-spec. All wrong. Anti-spec. Yeah. Anti-spec. And for that reason, I'm giving him a minus five. <laughs> so his average score... Serves him right. His average score is a zero. <laughs> I think that's the only way you can do it. I, I think he'd respect that. I think it's a deliberate choice. Yeah. So uh, he's not taking. He's no, not taking so I'm, overall I'm giving him four over yeah. my two scores. You're giving him a nine and a five. Fourteen. Fourteen. So he's yeah. getting eighteen. <laughs> Nobel Prize. For the Nobel Prize. The, the first Nobel Prize winning <laughs> author we reviewed gets, gets the lowest score. <laughs> So, Tim, that was Remains of the Day. Yes, and what a, what an ending. What an ending. A, a book just sat on the end of the pier. Yeah. Have, after your savaging, savaging of Ishiguro in the rating section. Well, sir. There's probably Sarkezio's socks left on the pier. <laughs> he just couldn't go on. I think he'll be happy with my view. But... Well, I think he'd find it interesting. <laughs> uh, we've reached the point of the podcast where we thank people. Which is always nice. Yes. Uh, do you want to do our standing thank you for our uh, composer? Yes, for learning, our... learning music on the Free Music Archive yeah. uh, is responsible for our bassy loop, our little theme tune. And um, it's called Trebek's Lament, if you want to hear the full song. And um, do support artists on the Free Music Archive, please. Absolutely. Um, I uh, I added some music to this this this, uh, this you did uh, this that driving music I loved it. Well, the driving music in part one was uh, by Clive Richardson, and it's called Melody on the Move. Of course, it is. Uh, it's from 1946. Perfect. Uh, so you can find it on YouTube. It's very nice, isn't it? Uh, the second part actually, I used a piece called Calling All Workers by Eric Coates, um, which was the theme to Music While You Work, BBC radio programme. I was trying to find a BBC radio programme because it mentions... Yes. What, what is it, what, what's that kind of... Can remember three times a week or something. Three times a week. Mm, At least there. three... More than twice a week. More than twice a week. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's called uh, Music While You Work. You can also find that on YouTube. And the um, the apologetic little number that I put up uh, in uh, to accompany my... Um, Heartfelt um, apology on the top that of the was brilliant. Was I'm sorry by Brenda Lee. What year is that? Do you know? That's uh, nineteen 
uh, mid fifties. Yeah, so it is around the time around Stevens the time. would have been around the time would have been listening to that. If he'd had a radio in his Ford, do you think he had a radio in his Ford? He won't have had. I him. think he probably, even if he did have a radio in his Ford, I don't think he'd be listening to Brenda Lee. Not no. too frivolous. No, very Not frivolous. Too frivolous. Yes. So thank you to all those uh, those uh, musicians and artists for helping us with uh, this podcast. We've also got a new subscriber. Hello, to hello to uh, hello, hello, Doug Mac. Hello, Doug. D U G M A C who has uh, subscribed, uh, supported us on Patreon, yep. but not just at the £2 level. <laughs> he's supported us at the £5 he's level. He's a premium. Which means it's a premium, thank you. It means he's a community member of the club, it which means, allows him access to the Discord server to chat about books and our trips. And our trips. So and dating few, and locations and all the things we now, talk about. Suggesting books and also sort of talking about, you know, With, there's a, there's a whole, what we've got wrong. Well, I tell you what, we've discovered... We've discovered that there's a few Agatha Christie experts in there. Yeah. Blimey. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking I'm a about bit doing, intimidated by we've that. We've been talking about doing a Christie. But Doug, welcome, Doug Mack. And welcome, Doug Mack, I think our first Australian. Wow. He's paid in Australian dollars. Do they read books in Australia? Well, but he must be reading them at midnight instead of breakfast time. Absolutely. Or something. And hanging or, or upside, upside down. down. He yeah. reads them upside down. Yeah. Did he get them out of a kangaroo's pocket? Yeah. Can we be any more insulting no, about no. Australians? I'm sure we I um, could try my accent. Would we, that help? We haven't mentioned convicts once. <laughs> um, That's Doug, one subscriber lost. Well done. to Doug Mac. You haven't come and said hello in the hello section. Well, with, the, with racism like that on show, I'm not surprised. <laughs> He's never coming in, is he? <laughs> but if you have an Australian novel that you think is curiously specific about dates and locations, let us know. It's a bit of a trip. I know, but given given that we've now got five, uh, sorry, nine pounds nine dollars fifty a month from Doug Mac, yeah, we might yeah. be able to go. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another 20, ten thousand Australian subscribers, and we're on our way. <laughs> so, uh, thank you to everyone who subscribes. Uh, welcome, Doug, and uh, we're off. We're off somewhere very exciting for the next episode, aren't we? Oh, well, we're going for another grand house, aren't we? We've, we've, we've done. We've done Darlington Hall. We've done Darlington Hall. Now we're heading down towards Cornwall. Yes. Where there's a house with a long drive. On the coast. On the coast. Haunted? Haunted and surrounded by rhododendrons. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.